All right, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, grateful for some time. Uh, Lord, grateful that uh, we're willing to put up with one another and, um, Lord, that you put up with us um, simply by um, forgiving us, by loving us through the work of Jesus, by seeing us, um, Lord, differently than we see ourselves, thankfully. And uh, so we're grateful for that love and that uh, forgiveness um, and that relationship that we have with you, which is more than just tolerance, um, which is a welcoming relationship an invitation uh, to something greater um, than ourselves. So open up your word to us today and uh, let it not return empty. In your son's name we pray. All God's people said, amen. All right, thank you very much. Well, grace, peace, and mercy to you uh, from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. So it's the third Sunday after Easter, all right? And we continue our teaching in the Gospel of John. We'll get there uh, in just a minute. The resurrection has occurred, right? Jesus has appeared to the disciples and to others. Thomas is restored to the fellowship. We saw that last week. And so everything is as it should be, right? Not quite. Well, why not? Or rather, the question isn't why, but perhaps the question is who? Who? Well, today we're going to focus on Peter, all right? We're going to focus on Peter, and as much as Jesus has given his time to large group appearances, again, you think of the, the twice that he's appeared in the upper room to the disciples and those who have gathered. As much as he has given his time to large group appearances, he still shows concern for the individual. Because he recognizes that in caring for the individual, it affects the overall health of the group or the body. In fact, just as an aside, and if there's further interest for you in reading, you can look at sections in 1 Corinthians and in Romans, both 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. Where the Apostle Paul picks up on this idea and shows concern and admonishes and encourages the church to show concern for the individual. Because when we do so, um, it shows concern for the whole body. So when we take care of one, we take care, and, and we take care of four. We take care of everyone. But why Peter this time? All right, why Peter this time? Well, go back a few weeks in the story, if you will. All right, just before Jesus' arrest, okay, he hasn't been arrested, he hasn't been crucified, we haven't had the resurrection. Besides predicting betrayal by Judas, you remember that night when they're gathered around for the Passover, the, the Last Supper, he says, one of you here will betray me, right? Is it I, Lord? Is it me? You know, they're asking. Um, besides predicting that betrayal of one of them in their midst, Jesus also says that someone else will deny him, right? Someone else before others in a large group setting will deny Christ just as one of them in that small group setting at Passover did. So who's that? That's Peter. Do you remember that? Do you remember Jesus telling Peter that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed? And do you remember, sure enough, Peter denied the Lord before others in that, in that public square? <laughs> three times Peter publicly denies knowing Christ. And I would even put before you that in a, in a way this denial is kind of compounded. Because prior to this we forget that 
Peter twice, first in John 13 and, and then in John 18, has boasted before all the others again in public of his reliability, of his faithfulness. In fact, we perhaps see this impetuosity and reliability, if you will, this behavior being lived out in the Garden of Gethsemane when he pulls his sword on the high priest's guard, and the scripture tells us he chops off his ear <laughs> with the blade. So my point is this, is simply as Peter is sending mixed messages, and because he's sending it mixed messages, we realize he's not in the place where he needs to be emotionally, uh, relationally, you know, physically. And even after the resurrection, even after the resurrection and the appearance of Christ, Peter is not at peace. He does not have that healing that comes from experiencing forgiveness. He does not have that healing that comes from knowing the Lord's restoration. The physical courage and human boasting will only get you so far, right? Peter, like all of us, need something, needs something more. So, what's going to happen here? Well, we're going to see that as he boasted in public, Jesus is going to do something in public as well for Peter, okay? And what is he going to do? He's going to restore Peter. He's going to publicly forgive Peter and then publicly restore Peter um, to the group. Because whatever future service Jesus has planned for Peter, it depends on this. The other disciples need to see Peter restored among them by Christ himself, right? So let me look at the text, and we'll talk a little bit more about the meaning of this. Okay, so let me set it up for you. The context is this. Third appearance after the resurrection. The disciples are out in the water fishing. They have not caught a thing, all right? Jesus, on the seashore, you know, on the lakeside, calls out to them and tells them to put their nets down, all right, in the boat. They do what he says, even though the text tells us they're not quite sure who this is. They pull up this enormous catch of fish, right, that John in his gospel tells us it's 156 fish, right? Now, part of the reason for sharing that amount of fish and the enormity of the fish is that when this had previously happened with the disciples early on in Jesus' ministry, their net had broken. But the net doesn't break here. All right? Now, I'm not, it's not significant enough for us to get in today, but just know that they've been fishing, that this miracle has happened, and as soon as this happens, Peter jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore, Right? And then the other disciples bring the boats in. And then when they get on shore, they see that a meal has been prepared of bread and fish. All right? And so they sit down to eat with the Lord. Okay? So this is where we're going to pick up the text after they're done eating. So John writes this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? 
Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. All right, that's the text we're going to be working with here for just a bit. All right, what does all this mean? Well, look at Jesus' initial question. Do you love me more than these? All right, what are these? All right, these are the other disciples. All right, do you love me? Are you more devoted to me than these other guys? All right. Now, why ask this question? Well, he's probing, all right? One, which I believe goes to the very marrow of Peter's bones, right? Because we're going to see this in his subsequent response. Peter's reply is not to try and answer in terms of the strength of his own love compared to that of the others, right? He doesn't, doesn't compare his love to theirs. I mean, comparison's a losing game. Instead, he appeals to the Lord's knowledge, doesn't he? Despite my bitter failure, he says, I love you, and you know that I love you. Jesus accepts it. Obviously, to Peter's relief, I'm sure, right? But why does Jesus accept it? Because he's Jesus. (laughs) That's what Jesus does. Jesus who forgives, this Jesus of mercy, this Jesus whose very death and resurrection was for this very purpose, to forgive, to set people free, to set us free from the personal sin that binds us to a life we know is not worthy of the gospel to which we've been called. Jesus who is all about using his power for our good, despite my bitter failure, right? Despite my bitter failure, Jesus says to me, I love you. Despite your bitter failure, Jesus says to you, I love you. I forgive you, right? And then what happens? Because this is just as important as the the, the forgiveness. Jesus commissions people. This is what we would call restoration. You see, Jesus, when he forgives us, when he brings us his grace and mercy and power into our lives, not only does he forgive us, forgives us, but he restores us. And in that restoration comes a commissioning for you and me as the people of God. And he tells Peter, feed my lambs. You know, just as another aside to the text, historians tell us that Peter will live for another three decades after this one incident at the lakeside. Right? And we know that because we have two of Peter's letters, at least two of what he wrote, first and second Peter. But Peter's love for the Lord is evidence in his reinstatement and will be displayed in his subsequent care for the flock over the next 30 years. But that subsequent love and care for the flock could not have happened unless Peter was forgiven. Unless Peter was restored, unless Peter was commissioned to do the work that Christ had called him to do. So let me ask you this, though, in the sense of your life as it it relates to using Peter as an example. I want you to think of this incident in Peter's life as a driver, as a catalyst, as fuel for his faith over the three subsequent decades to come, right? Right? 
Something that he could always fall back on time and time again to know. Not only that he was called by the Lord, but that he was forgiven and restored by the Lord, right? For him, it was a place of encouragement. For him, it was a place of empowerment. And so my challenge to you and to me is to ask ourselves, uh, what are the drivers that we have in our life of faith? Where are those, the, those catalysts, those, those, where's the fuel? Meaning, do we have a particular times of encountering Christ in such a profound sense of receiving forgiveness? In such a profound sense of receiving restoration from him, right? That we are able to carry that memory with us forward. Does that make sense? A time in your life where you were both comforted by the love of God, but also a time in your life where within that comfort you experienced encouragement and empowerment to keep going. Does that make sense? So I want you to think about, this is where you have to do an exercise for yourself, really, right? Think about an incident like that that you've never forgotten, that despite the circumstances, you had the peace of Christ which surpassed all your understanding. Think about that where despite the circumstances, you knew the love of God in your life. What incident or experience in your life can you go back to, just as Peter did, to remind yourself of that? Now, as you think about that, let me give you something easy to work with. Okay. As I said earlier, at the lakeside, right, with Jesus, there's a meal. John tells us it's fish and bread. Doesn't sound too exciting, does it, right? But Jesus is there, so hey, it's, it's something different. Um, now, it's not communion, all right, uh, but nonetheless, Jesus and his followers are gathered together. Each individual, if you will, has found himself part of something greater, right, that day. Think about the table behind me, what we call communion, okay? And you'll often hear me call it the table of grace and belonging, right? A meal which we believe both literally and figuratively is a place of forgiveness and a place of restoration. A meal, brothers and sisters, that is meant to be for you and me a catalyst, a source of fuel for our life of faith that moves us from week to week to week to week. One of the reasons why we do it every Sunday right? So that you have the spiritual energy and nourishment you need going into the week ahead, right? This for us becomes, or it should be at least a catalyst, a very visible reminder to you and to me that transitions us from a people who are receiving from God forgiveness and restoration to receiving a commission. That now that I have fed you Follow me into the world, right? And so what are those drivers, those experiences that you're able to go back to on a regular basis and say, Christ met me there and restored me? Perhaps it's something as simple as the table, or perhaps it's something profound in your own life. All right, go back to Peter. Because it doesn't end the matter. Three times, Jesus asks the same question, right? And when Peter is particularly grieved, Mike's going to put that back up on the screen for us, in verse 17, it's not because Jesus isn't listening or is out to wound him. 
but simply because it's being asked for the third time, right? The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, I mean, you can just hear the exasperation in his voice, right? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus responds, feed my sheep. All right, so think about it this way. Peter disowns Jesus, right, um, in the public square. He disowns him three times, right? Well, that's what happens after uh, his arrest, Jesus' arrest. In this case, there's no boldness. There's no impetuosity. The Peter we saw in John 13 and John 18 and the Peter that we saw uh, pulling out the sword um, to do harm uh, is gone. <laughs> this is a new Peter. He can only appeal to Christ, right, as I said earlier, and know that the Lord knows his heart. Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you, and that's enough. That's enough. See, brothers and sisters, for you and for me, that is enough, all right? To appeal to the Lord based on his love for you and for me, and to appeal to the Lord because he knows the condition of our heart, brought about by the very power of the Holy Spirit, not only for our repentance but, and sorrow, but also for our love for him. That you don't have to prove your love. You don't have to earn that love. You don't have to somehow manufacture that love or placate God so that he believes that you love him. But recognize, as he said to Peter, he says to you and me that despite our bitter failings, despite what our life might look like at the time, uh, as it doesn't always look like it should look, that he knows that we love him. Why does he know that we love him? Because he created that love in us. The Holy Spirit worked that love in our hearts, that confession of faith that Jesus is both our Lord and our God. His appeal, our appeal is to Christ <laughs> and not to ourselves. But let me ask you this, though, as you, you think about this conversation between the two, you say you love the Lord, right? That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. We say we love the Lord And I do this only as a human exercise because it's not to prove something to Jesus. But we do it to reflect upon our life of faith and our, our life of discipleship. We do it to challenge ourselves, if you will, in a sense. So Jesus knows your heart. Jesus knows you love him. But do you really know you love God? <laughs> and what I mean by that is maybe a simple exercise for yourself is just to write down on a scratch piece of paper or on the, the handout today ways in which in your life you feel give evidence to that love right i mean you're not on trial believe me you know you don't have to hand this in to your lawyer or anything like that right christ has set us free but i think an interesting exercise as i said earlier for our life of discipleship and kind of challenging ourselves and encouraging ourselves to what it means to follow jesus is to write down ways in which we think our lives give evidence to the love of the lord And so I would say if you were to take that list and you were to keep that list handy, the next step then would be in your daily prayer to the Lord, ask the Lord to reveal your heart and to reveal to you those examples, whether they're legit or not, right? And how, at least in a human sense, you might better understand ways in which your life truly can look like it loves the Lord.
Again, we're not on trial. I don't want you to misunderstand me. But Jesus has a reason for asking this of Peter. Christ is asking Peter these probing questions because he needs Peter to understand. He's got to understand what it really means to say we love Jesus. Remember, Peter's going to give his life for this confession. We need to hear this dialogue between them. Jesus needs Peter, the disciples, and you and me to understand that that this love we say we possess, right, is a love which will ask of us a loyalty which far surpasses loyalty to anything else or anyone else, even our families. So this commitment we say we have is a commitment that supersedes the siren song of the world. There's your tongue twister for today, right? I think Mark 8's probably the most well-known of explanation. It, It comes just after another A bold statement by Peter. It's a declaration from him about um, Jesus being the Savior. It's uh, Jesus says, who do you all say that I am? And Peter says, we say you are the Christ, the Messiah. And then Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Little did those men know that day and those who were hearing that it would be both Christ who would give his life and they would have to give their lives as well. So my question just to myself and to us is when we say we love the Lord, do we know what love means? So in your prayers this week, as I said earlier, as you study the word, as you gather with other Christians in worship and service, as you make your way through the week at work, at the grocery store, Um, the mall, wherever, ask the Lord to reveal to you in your particular context what loving him looks like in your life as he calls you to follow him. Because we all know that when we say something like, I love you, it means different things, right? I love pizza does not mean I love Jesus, right? (laughs) They're just totally different things. But brothers and sisters, we are invited to follow at a depth and power that requires an understanding of what that means. All right, so go back. I'm almost done to the story. I think what strikes me in this exchange, because I want, I want to, as I sum this up, I want to share with you one of the ways in which we as his disciples can follow him into the world around us. What strikes me in this exchange is de- as Jesus' description of Christian ministry. All right. Did you see in that dialogue, it's all verbs. There are no nouns. He uses the word tend, T-E-N-D, tend and feed my sheep. And for me in particular, he doesn't say be a pastor or hold the office of pastor, right? And in fact, he doesn't say, Peter, these are your sheep. He says, these are my sheep, right? Tend and feed my sheep. Not your sheep, not your flock, but my flock, my sheep. So this ministry given to us as the body of Christ, whether it's in a formal role such as mine as a pastor uh, or yours, right? Where you're at, we're called to the tending and feeding of the flock. The tending and feeding of the sheep. And that tending and feeding which comes by an invitation by Christ himself to to come and follow him. It's an invitation for Peter for sure to stick with it, but it's also an invitation to you and to me, 
all right? This steadfast pursuit of the Lord wherever he has positioned us in life and faith. What might this look like? Well, I want to give you an example because I want you to understand that the tending and feeding of the flock, as much as it occurs on a Sunday morning in one hour, right, the majority of tending and feeding the body of Christ occurs out there, right, doesn't it? In Bible studies and loving your neighbor and serving others, um, all sorts of different ways. And it also includes serving those whom you don't know and perhaps don't know if they have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. But let me give you an example. So the Saturday before Easter, you know, historically, we have our Easter egg hunt here on our, uh, at our facility, right? This year instead, though, uh, there was a decision, to made, uh, a decision made to move the Easter egg hunt to Sierra Vista Apartments, uh, which is down at uh, North Haven and Webb Chapel, all right? And this was done for two reasons. Um, one, this was to help Pastor Beto uh, in uh, Santa Cruz and the Spanish-speaking ministry because the majority of residents, if not all, uh, are Spanish-speaking residents. All right? Second of all, though, it was to continue to bless the community in the name of Jesus Christ um, and, and share with them the idea that, yes, somebody cares. <laughs> yes, somebody cares about the neighborhood. Um, and so... Uh, what was, what was great about it was the thank you note we received from the staff at the apartment complex. And I want to read it to you, right? It's short. Uh, but as short as it is, it's still important, all right? So they write this. Thank you very much for all that Holy Cross did for our community for the Easter egg hunt. Our Sierra Vista community was very impressed with all the activities and management of the event. I was teasing Angie. That's Angie's deal, right? <laughs> the organization. Um, we're very grateful for all that you guys provided for us. That's, we, you know, we applaud all our volunteers who showed up that day to help. That was, it was fantastic. We have some tenants still talking about how much fun they had and how much fun their kids had. Without you, Holy Cross, and all their amazing volunteers, none of this would have been possible. Thank you. Then she goes on to say this. Our community needs an organization like you guys that think of others' needs. There will never be enough thanks uh, for us to say for all that you have done for the kids all the fun and enjoyment they had, all the smiles on their faces wouldn't have been possible without your support. We as the office staff are very grateful as well as we hope to have your support for future events uh, here in our community. And then she closes with this. Holy Cross will always be welcomed at Sierra Vista Apartments. All right? Now, that's tending and feeding. That's calling people to follow Christ. That's positioning yourself in the community to love them sacrificially without any expectation that you might get anything in return. But it's a great example of what it means uh, for a church body to be forgiven, to be restored, and then to be commissioned, all right, out into the world. You see, activities like this continue to give us favor in this neighborhood, all right? And we praise God uh, for the favor we have with other organizations as well. But, brothers and sisters, it's a favor that we pray is not based upon us, all right, but based upon Jesus, right? based upon Jesus' work, uh, what he has done and continues to do for the sheep as he forgives, as he restores, and as he empowers. In his name, amen.